0: This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to The Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. All right, good to see you, men. Thank you for joining us. Uh, First week went great. Second week was actually bigger, and so it's really good to see you, men. Uh, For those of you that are new, just explain a little bit of why we're meeting. Uh, One ox can pull their body weight Two ox can pull the body weight of three ox. The point is you yoke together and you could pull a heavier load. What they do as well with a young ox, they pair them up with an old ox. Because a young ox is usually stronger than an older ox, but they're not as smart. And so they waste a lot of their energy. You younger guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if not, ask the older guy near you, he'll explain all of this. So what they do then, they'll take the young ox and the old ox and they'll yoke them together. And what it'll allow, the older ox has a little wisdom on how to conserve and distribute energy. And then the younger ox gets trained on how to pull their load. That's exactly why we're here. We want guys to yoke together. We want them to meet, build relationships, and then together you can pull a much heavier load. That could be for your family, your business, your life, your extended family, your ministry, whatever the case may be. And uh, if you're new, we're in the book of Daniel. So the way it works is I'll teach a section of the Bible on Sunday, and then we'll do a specific application for men here together. And uh, in the book of Daniel, we are seeing this principle where yoking together makes you stronger and able to pull a stronger load. And so in the storyline of Daniel, uh, it's really about Daniel and three buddies that he's got with him. And we've learned thus far in the uh, story that in chapter one, it's about invade and enslave. So they're living in Israel, another nation named Babylon led by Nebuchadnezzar, who's an evil demonic king comes in, conquers them, plunders God's temple, Uh, After he invades, he enslaves them. They walk 700 miles to Babylon. This includes some young men, Daniel and his three buddies. They're castrated, they're sent to university, they're brainwashed, they're renamed, and then they are destined to serve the king, this godless, horrible king, for the remainder of their life. Chapter two of Daniel. This king has a dream and it comes from God and it prophesies Uh, the future of world history, and ultimately the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's up all night, freaking out, can't interpret the dream. So he sends out a death sentence decree unless his dream can be understood. And then in comes Daniel filled with the spirit of God. God gives him a vision. He saves the day, he interprets the dream. Chapter three, uh, we saw on Sunday that what happens then is that King Nebuchadnezzar, this king some years later, builds a 90 foot high monument statue made out of gold of himself and demands that everyone bow down and worship him. The uh, historians tell us 3,000 people bowed down and then a couple of guys stood up. This was Daniel's three friends and he is not present at that moment. We know not why. So you got 300,000 people bowing down, three guys standing up. They worship the one true God. They're not going to worship this false God. So what he does, he throws them in the fiery furnace, which was probably the smeltering furnace for the gold that created the statue. And the three guys live. And what we know is that to melt gold, it takes about 2000 degrees. I mean, unbelievable. A wood fire is usually a couple hundred degrees. So they turn this thing up as high as it'll go. They throw the three guys in and these guys are untouched, unharmed. And then a fourth dude shows up in the furnace. This is what we studied on Sunday. And uh, the king who sees it says, he looks like one of the sons of the gods. Well, it is the son of God, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus comes down and he is the guy who jumps into the fire with those who are faithful. And so what we're gonna do tonight, we're gonna talk a little bit about Daniel in general, but Daniel chapter three in... Um, particular. The main hero of the book is God. The two main human characters, the protagonist and the antagonist, it's Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. And it really is a case study in what kind of man you want to be. So throughout the book, there's Nebuchadnezzar and all the men that are with him and like him. And then there is Daniel and there are his friends who were with him. And then for you and I, as we read the story, the question is simply this, what kind of man do I want to be? And subsequently, what kind of men do I want to pull together for the life that I envision God has called me to? Who am I gonna walk with in the journey? And so that being said, I wanna compare and contrast a little bit of what's going on here between uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he is the Babylonian godless demonic king, and then Daniel and his three buddies. And I've got just a a quick 10 points. You can find this all online at uh, markdriscoll.org. I'll have these notes for you if you don't wanna take notes. But just think about this and what kind of man you wanna be, right? And one of the things that makes Daniel so poignant for men, it's, it's primarily focusing on the lives of some men. And so the book starts where Daniel is a teenager and it ends when he's in his eighties and the book covers 69 years of his life. And so it really is, what kind of man do you want to be at each season and stage of life? And through it, we see also the rulers in Babylon and their character. And I want you to decide what kind of man you wanna be. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he ruled his kingdom from fear. He ruled his kingdom from fear. Everybody was scared of this guy. He ruled as a God, he could kill you, he could dismember you. Every once in a while he gets really angry in the book and he says, okay, everybody dies. And he just sends out like a genocide death sentence. He rules from fear. Most men, if they don't know Jesus, if they do rule, they rule from fear. Fear, intimidation, threat of punishment. That's what the Bible says, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. He says, for fear has to do with punishment. And so you men need to understand that you are a leader. Some of you lead in business. Some of you lead in ministry. If you have a family, you're leading in your family. You've got spheres of influence. There are people that you are leading. And if you are going to lead them through fear, it is threat, coercion, intimidation, threat of punishment. These are men who raise their voices at their children and their wives. These are men who threaten, you do this or I will do that. These are men who lead through intimidation and through fear. And the reason that this is tempting for many men is that it works. You can get your way. If you're the stronger personality, you can get your way. Nebuchadnezzar is that guy. He's very domineering. He's very overbearing. Everyone is scared of him. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he's going to hurt you. We see through the book. I mean, he's castrating people. He's throwing people into fires. He's throwing people into fiery furnaces, or at least the political leaders in Babylon are, they're putting out death sentences and mass executions. They're invading countries. They're totally destroying entire groups of people and nations. They're plundering them. I mean, if you hear Nebuchadnezzar's coming to your house, it's a bad day for you, okay? How many of you grew up in a home where the dad led through fear? How many of you led through that? That's a horrible environment to be in. You know know you're in an environment of fear when mom says things like, wait till your dad gets home. What that means is that's never a good thing. Dad coming home is not a good thing. That's a bad thing. It means he's gonna drop the hammer. He's gonna be the heavy. Nebuchadnezzar rules like that, a whole nation. And he has the largest nation in the world. He has what is probably the largest city in the world, Babylon. He has the most far reaching empire in its day. So here's the point, it worked for him, but it didn't work for anybody else. And if you're a man who rules through fear, it might work for you, but it doesn't work for anybody else. Contrast that with Daniel and his buddies. Uh, They don't rule their individual kingdom from fear. They serve God's kingdom in faith. Every opportunity that they have, every circumstance that they're in, they're trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you want? What do you ask? What are you calling me to? What are you requiring? How can I extend your kingdom? How can I make your name great? How can I serve your purpose? So their orientation is very different. Every man who seeks to build his own kingdom ends up very angry and disappointed and frustrated like Nebuchadnezzar. Every man who serves the kingdom of God ultimately can live with some measure of peace and joy because the kingdom that he is helping to build is one that endures forever. If you're investing in the kingdom of God with your money, with your time, with your energy, with your family, with your business, with your life, you're investing in the right kingdom, the kingdom that never ends, and there's no disappointment in that. I'm telling you in a million years, whatever you've done for or given to the cause of Jesus, you will not regret. There'll be lots of other things in life as men that we will regret, but none of that. What Nebuchadnezzar shows us is you can build your own kingdom and still be a miserable man. He's a miserable man, but he is a very successful man. And this is one of the great myths and lies that our culture tells men is if you become successful, then you'll be joyful. And it doesn't necessarily happen. Some of the most successful people are the least joyful. And some of you guys have reached a status of life, marriage, kids, grandkids, job, income, car, house, you know, retirement account, bank account, whatever your goals were, some of you have met those or at least gotten close to those and still there's a frustration and a dissatisfaction. It's because the kingdom you build does not necessarily guarantee the joy that you enjoy. That's the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Number two, he is always fighting to control his future. Nebuchadnezzar is what we would call a control freak. He has to control everything that happens. And he's trying to control what happens into the future, even after he dies. This is a high control man. Contrast that Daniel and his friends, they're not driven um, by fighting for control. They have faith that God is in control of the future. And where men get very disappointed and frustrated, we have a plan for our life. If we do believe in God, we tell God what that plan is. And when he doesn't do what we tell him to do, we get angry or frustrated or disappointed with him. And what that is basically saying is, hey, I'm the king and you're an employee and you need to do what the king says. And God's answer is always, that's not our relationship. I'm the father, you're the son, and you don't boss your dad around. That's not how this works. So conversely, they have faith that God controls their future. And here's the point with Daniel and his friends, they did not get the life they wanted. And I think this is the great test for every man. Nebuchadnezzar actually did get the life that he wanted. He's the king, he rules a nation, he's got a harem, he's got money, he's got safety, he's got a military, there are no human rights, there is no legal system, whatever he says is the law. So it works but he's miserable and everyone around him is miserable. He got exactly what he wanted and he was miserable. Daniel and his friends, they did not get their vision for their life, right? I mean, I'm sure when they were little boys growing up in Egypt, or excuse me, in Israel, I'm sure their their conversation was, I hope I grow up and I get castrated and I'm a vegetarian who lives in Iraq. I'm sure that zero times that was their prayer as their head hit the pillow at night. Lord, please make me a... A vegetarian eunuch in Iraq, amen. They they never sought that. Some of you guys, you say, that would be a good life for me compared to the one that I actually have, right? And the test of a man is always, so it doesn't go the way you hoped and wanted and planned. Do you trust that it is still somehow, even if it's mysterious, God's will, so you walk in it. It's like, I didn't want to get divorced. I didn't want to get cancer. I didn't want to get old. I didn't want to get broke. I didn't want the stock market to fall out. I didn't want the double dip in 07, 08, and we lost everything in real estate. I didn't want my business partner to betray me. Whatever the case may be, will you still trust God's oversight of your life, even if it isn't the life that you wanted? And I think this is one of the great tests for every man, because as young men, we can worship God, hoping to get the outcome we want. And when we don't get the outcome, we stop worshiping. What they do, they continue to worship even though it's not the outcome they wanted, trusting that somewhere down the road, there will be the purposes of God made known to them and they will rejoice once they understand what those are. Nebuchadnezzar tries to use God for his plan. Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of the guy who will use whatever religion or God or goddess or spirituality he thinks will work for him. Uh, Some years ago, I was watching uh, The Simpsons. Uh, Don't judge me. Uh, I, I was... Ned Flanders is on there, so he's on our team. But uh, Homer, he, he, was, he thought he was dying. He's like, Allah, Muhammad, Jesus, whomever, save me. He just sort of covers his bases, right? Whoever's there, please spare me. Nebuchadnezzar's a guy like that. If he thinks that Daniel and his friends God will help, he'll bring him in. He'll be like, all right, let me, here's what I need from your God. He's always trying to use God. He has an outcome that he wants and he's trying to use God to get it conversely, Daniel and his friends, they let God use them for his plan. Nebuchadnezzar is always, this is my plan, God or whatever spirituality or religion or demon, how can I utilize this for the intended outcome? Daniel and his friends, conversely, it's like, okay, Lord, what's your plan? How do we serve your plan? I know that this is a fight for men. We need vision, we need planning, we need goals, we need objectives. I'm not discouraging that at all. But I'm saying that if you don't seek God's will for your life, you will seeking to use God so that you can have your will for your life, which is self-destruction. Okay, that's the, that's the point. How many of you have gotten exactly what you wanted and it was not what you needed? Okay. okay, that's the point. God doesn't just give us what we want, he gives us what we need. And in that way, he's like a loving father. I've got three sons and I don't give them everything they want and it's not because I don't love them, it's because I do. It's like son, I could help you with that, or I could provide that, or I could do that. But the answer is no, because I love you. And I see the outcome is gonna be destruction for you. And you're young, you may not understand. You need to know that we're all the sons of God. He is the father. And sometimes just giving him our punch list for his duties is not going to work because ultimately he knows it's not in our best interest. And we have a good dad, not just an obedient dad. Nebuchadnezzar, true or false? He's emotionally unstable. Okay, just do this. Give me some examples from the book for those of you that have read up to the chapter three where we're at this week, or, or perhaps have read further. What are some things that he does that shows emotional instability? Three, he gets furious. It says he gets furious, angry, very mad. I mean, he heats up the furnace. The furnace isn't as hot as he is. I mean, dude's just fired up. We'd use that language. He's fired up, he's angry. And some of you guys know this. Some of you guys, you grew up at home, your dad's emotional spectrum was asleep, or angry; those were your emotional options. Nebuchadnezzar is that kind of guy. He's either asleep or angry. That tends to be where he's at. Perry, what else does he do? If you don't worship, I have two options. Plan A: worship me. Plan B: I put you in a fire. I mean, that is one way to get compliance, but it's it, it's not very kind, you know. And he and he actually does it, you know. And and you could like we said Sunday, you could see the anti-Semitism in it. Oh, we're having problems with the Jews. Let's throw them in the furnace. I mean it's it's unbelievable. But any but see the point is we look at Nebuchadnezzar, and just just be honest as men. If I told you right now, you can throw somebody in a fire, and there will be no evidence because it's a really good fire. How many of you right now you're like, cool, where's the fire? Because you know exactly who you'd throw in the fire. How many, if you're honest, how many of you guys you got somebody right now? You got a couple, yeah. Some of you, you know, you're like, well, you know, I have a guy. Some of you are like, well, I have a I have a Camry full of guys. Somebody's like, I got a bus full of guys, right? Others, I got a parade, you know, I got a parade full of guys. The difference between Nebuchadnezzar and us is that he had total freedom and unlimited resources and we don't, and he didn't have any consequences. You take consequences, resources, and you change those for a man to where he has no consequences and all resources, we'd put some people in a fire, we just would. How many of you guys, in a moment of rage, you would take somebody's life if nobody would do anything about it, Dang. How else do we see him being emotionally unstable? Yeah, he, you cannot critique this guy. Anytime you put God on your LinkedIn page as one of your jobs, you, you're not really open to correction. Right? He thinks he's God, he rules as God, and you can't teach this guy anything. So anybody who comes in, even his staff, that are going to disagree with him or tell him something, immediately he says, okay, I'm gonna kill you. Some of you, the, the difference that we have as men is, especially as fathers, if, if, our, if our kids come to correct us or our wife comes to correct us, we don't throw them in a furnace, we just burn them down with our words. We just berate them and beat them down. We, we, sort, of, we sort of scorch them, we eviscerate them in the moment. Yeah. It was interesting, he didn't, didn't call out block member out of the fire. Yeah, that's a good observation. There's three dudes in the fire and he didn't call the fourth one out. Um, it makes you wonder why. I never really thought about that. But like, that dude's different. I don't know if I want to mess with that guy today. <laughs> right, like, the best thing I got is the fire and that dude can handle the fire. I'm, I just want to talk to the three guys. So, you know, that other dude can do what he wants. That's a good observation. Anything else we see emotional instability, Cap? No, his senior leaders, he's willing to just kill them. I mean, so like Daniel's right hand man has proven faithful, but over and over with Daniel and or his friends who were promoted, he has, he just, if he gets angry at you, even if you've been loyal to him and helpful for decades, that's it, your life is in danger, doesn't matter. You know, you think in most relationships, you put enough deposits in the account that when you make a withdrawal, it's not a death sentence. But he's one of those guys. You're not allowed to make any withdrawals in the account from him. And if so, he is going to he's going to respond very dangerously. He's a very dangerous man. Some of you guys know what a dangerous man is. These are guys that you are scared of. You're trying to figure out how to manage, work around. If a woman is married to a man like that or a child is being raised by a father like that, they're like a POW. Right? They're in a They're in hostile foreign control and they're being abused and it's a dangerous environment. This is where it's so important for us as men, as we look at Nebuchadnezzar, not to just say, oh, what a bad guy, but to say, apart from the spirit of God, that's every guy in varying degree, that we really need the spirit of God. And so Daniel and his friends, they're emotionally really healthy. So give me some examples of their emotional health in the book. They're very patient with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you're gonna see it in chapter four. Daniel says, okay, God says you need to stop doing these nasty things to people, and we're gonna wait a year and see. We're gonna give you a year. That's, I mean, if somebody's really frustrated you and you say, okay, like, I'm very frustrated, so I'm down to one year of patience, that's still pretty amazing. They're very patient. And the fact that Daniel serves faithfully for 69 years. And I don't care who your boss is, it's not that bad, right? I mean, Daniel's got the worst job of all, worst boss ever, but he's very patient, very patient. What else do you see with emotional health from Daniel and his buddies in the storyline? Yeah, very bold. He He will walk up to the king and say, we don't do that. We don't eat that food. We don't bow down. They are very bold, but they're not angry. They're not mean. They're not argumentative. They're not disrespectful. They're very honorable. So they're bold with a, with a respect and an honor. That takes a lot, because usually you're a coward or a bully. You're not a courageous, humble person, and they're both. Yeah. Did Daniel take some time to respond? Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, there are times in the book where Nebuchadnezzar freaks out, he's very emotional, and Daniel doesn't immediately respond. He pulls back. So we saw in chapter two, he pulls his buddies together. Okay, here's the situation. He had a dream, he's put out a death sentence, let's spend some time in prayer and worship, praise to God, let's get our bearings, let's get our hearts right, let's figure out what God wants us to do. He's not driven by the circumstances, he allows the circumstances to drive him into his relationship with God, and then he has God direct him. So he's not driven by circumstances, but he's driven by circumstances to meet with the Lord, and then he's directed by the Lord with a lot of wisdom. How many of you guys, when you're emotional, you don't make the right decision? How many of you guys when you're angry, you're like, yeah, I, yeah, I usually apologize later. Okay. <laughs> Daniel knows when to sort and his friends, they know when to buy a little time to emotionally prepare. Other examples of emotional health, Daniel and his buddies in the book. Yeah. They, they have boundaries too. You know, like, Nebuchadnezzar kind of, can go up to here, but little that. Yeah, they have clear boundaries of conscience. Okay, we will go to the University of Babylon and study demonology, but we're not gonna do witchcraft. Um, so we'll, we'll study it, but we're not, gonna, um, we're not gonna adopt it and we're not going to practice it. He's like, okay, here, here's the counterfeit demonic communion, eat the king's food, drink the king's wine. And they're like, the answer is no, we do not do that. Bow down and worship me, we do not do that. So they do have a clear set of boundaries and they are willing to say, you know what? The answer is no. And it takes an emotionally healthy person, especially when you're under a dictator who can literally take your life to maintain healthy boundaries and to say, no, I can go to here, but I can't go over here. This is the line that my God draws and I stay on this side of that line. Any other examples, emotional health? Yeah, Jeff. I think we said this before, but literally they had nothing in life that they wanted at that particular point in time, yet they were content with God. Yeah, I mean... Most of us men, our contentment comes with our achievement. All right, let's just be honest, right? Like, okay, my car's good, my house is good, my wife is good, my kids are good. Um, these men, nothing is good. They live in Iraq, not Israel. They're slaves, not free. They're eunuchs, not married. They're, they don't consummate a marriage. They don't, they don't conceive a child they don't own anything and they're actually owned by the state, yet they have a level of contentment and joy that supersedes Nebuchadnezzar who is literally worshiped as a God. And so there's, there's something, it's, it's not just about what you have, it's about as a man, how much you enjoy and how content you are with what God provides. And so you can have a wonderful series of provisions from God and still not enjoy them without contentment. Or you can be like these men and have very, very little, but still have joy and contentment because you enjoy and appreciate fully the things that the Lord has given. I'll give you a couple more, and those are all great. Um, what you see with Nebuchadnezzar, what do we know about his wife so far? Nothing. What about his friends? He doesn't have friends. He's all by himself until he gets angry and then he calls in his employees. That's all he has. What about his kids? Do you think he had kids? I promise you had kids because this was a dynasty and your male heir would inherit the kingdom. The whole reason you've got a harem is to have a lot of kids and to ultimately pick your heir. What do we know about his family? Nothing, he's a very lonely man. Men who are angry, men who are high control, men who are emotionally unstable, they end up very lonely. They may be very powerful. They win at all of their professional relationships and they lose at all of their personal relationships. The thing that causes them to win at work causes them to lose at home and in relationships. We don't see the guy having a wife, kids, friends. He's a very lonely guy, very successful. Conversely, um, Daniel and his friends, they have professional relationships. We see in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, they're dealing with their boss. They're dealing with those who oversee them in the government. Uh, they, they, They respond to Nebuchadnezzar respectfully. They have professional relationships, but they also have very healthy personal relationships. So what happens in Daniel chapter two, the king has a horrible dream, freaks out, calls in all of his employees, screams at them and threatens their life. Daniel also calls a meeting. Who does he call to the meeting? His three buddies to pray and seek the Lord because he has, per, he, he has not only professional relationships, he's got personal relationships, his buddies, he's got friends, okay? If everyone in your life is a professional relationship, okay? and this is where very unhealthy men, all of their relationships are professional, They have coworkers, they have bosses, they have employees, they have attorneys, they have accountants, they have landscapers, they have mechanics, they have prostitutes, all professional relationships, no personal relationships. This is where unhealthy men even try and turn personal relationships into professional relationships. They're gonna wanna start to treat their wife or their kids like an employee. This is what he does with everyone. How do I know this? I don't know what the stupidest thing I ever said to my wife was, but this is one of the candidates. There's so many nominees. It's hard really to figure out who gets the Grammy. But uh, we were arguing one night and I looked at Grace and I said, "Uh, if you were my employee, I would have fired you a long time ago. Just so you know, that wasn't her love language. It didn't achieve the results that I was aspiring for. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. She said, that's the problem. I'm not your employee, I'm your wife. I was like, uh, yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, wife. I lose, you know, wife wins. So, but I was right because my thought was, I have a job description, I'm giving you a performance review and I think you can do better at your job. And she's like, I don't want that kind of relationship. Men can have professional relationships, but they can't use the same strategy for their personal relationships, okay? Nebuchadnezzar only has professional relationships. We don't see any personal relationships. It's not like he has a nightmare and his friends come over and pray for him. That's not what happens for him. Um, with Nebuchadnezzar, it says in chapter three that everybody bowed down, most of the commentators agree. He had 300,000 people that in an instant worshiped him as God, that's, I mean, just think of that. 300,000 people bow down when the counterfeit worship team you know, starts the song. Meanwhile, um, Daniel and his friends, they just had three dudes and God on their side, that's it. I mean, it's crazy because the whole storyline of Daniel is here is Nebuchadnezzar, 300,000 people who worship him and four guys in a golf cart. And they're the heroes of the story that have the real power. I mean, it's, and there's an old preacher that says, um, one man with God is always in the majority. Right? It's, not, it's not the number of people are with you. It's the number of God's people who bring God's presence. That's what really counts and matters. And so Nebuchadnezzar would look and say, I I have a lot of people that are for me, but a friend of many companions, the Bible says, comes to ruin. But there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. These are brothers. These are brothers in the faith who stick together as friends. Nebuchadnezzar demands to be worshiped. He demands it. If you don't worship him, he'll punish you. Let me just... Throw this out, quick discussion. What are the ways that men, like Nebuchadnezzar, we want to set up a kingdom and we want everybody under authority to worship us. What does this look like in the life of a modern day man? Be honest, what do you think? What does this look like? Money. The whole point is that I would generate more income. Therefore, Employees, their primary responsibility is solely my benefit, not our benefit. Wife and kids, don't spend any money. Wife, go get a job, generate a certain amount of revenue. I'm gonna put a lot of pressure on you because you are for me, you're part of my downline. Right. I've seen guys like that. It's not, it's, not, it's not a problem or a sin for family members to work, but if it's because the man is pressing because he wants to take their revenue and increase and enrich his treasure chest, that's a problem in the heart. How else do men demand to be worshiped? Yeah, you know, the kingdom, so Nebuchadnezzar had quite a man cave, if we could use that language. His man cave was a palace filled with a harem, all to himself. We like to have our own place. This is my space, you're out. I know certain people, they grew up in a home where dad said, that's my room, you're never allowed to go in. Okay, that's your kingdom, you're the king. And if anybody enters, they will experience your wrath. Men demand to be worshiped through don't inconvenience me, don't make me serve you. Um, Hey, I've had a long day, leave me alone. And particularly in the marriage relationship, it's sex. And it's domineering overbearing. It's not healthy, joyful, loving marital relationship. Instead it's the king is here, you need to worship me, meaning you need to do what I want. And this is the heart of every man apart from the spirit of God giving us a new heart. Uh, He's ruled by, Nebuchadnezzar is by the spirit of Babylon. There's darkness and evil in him. There's darkness and evil in him that's demonic and satanic. You all know men that they're dark, they're evil, they're dangerous. They are unsafe men. Nebuchadnezzar's a man like that. Daniel and his friends, they're ruled by the spirit of God. It says in chapter four, verse eight, verse nine, I think it's verse 19, uh, even the political leader, Nebuchadnezzar is there. He says, the spirit of God is in you. So they're ruled by the spirit of God. So they have the character of Jesus Christ who is also filled with the Holy Spirit. And the point is, you're either gonna be ruled by the spirit of Babylon or you're gonna be ruled by the spirit of God. If you're ruled by the spirit of Babylon, you may be very powerful and successful, but very dark and dangerous. If you're ruled by the spirit of God, you may not have the life that you want, but you will demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ. And these are the contrasts that are stark through the whole book. So as we're looking at the book, the first six chapters are history, the last six chapters are prophecy. It's gonna get very complicated and to some degree convoluted, but don't lose the simple perspective that gets set up early in the narrative. Guys either have a spirit of Babylon and darkness and death, or they have the spirit of God and the character of Christ. And what kind of man do you aspire to be? Last couple, Nebuchadnezzar put people in a furnace. Some men do this. We call it turning up the heat, put screws to them. He literally puts people in the furnace. Now what happens with Daniel and his buddies, and it'll be in various circumstances, but to stretch the analogy, they stand with people in a furnace. There are two kinds of men, men that put you in a furnace and men that stand with you while you're in your furnace. Right? And the point is, we don't wanna be the guys that put people in a furnace. We wanna be the guys who stand with other guys in their furnace. And each of us has got your furnace. Peter says this in the New Testament, he says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come uh, come upon you. Uh, Chapter four and chapter one, Peter says, um, lots of trials are going to come and God is going to use that heat to purify your faith, which is more precious than gold. All Nebuchadnezzar really cared about was gold and he would use heat to melt gold. What God's people really care about and God's men should primarily care about is faith and the heat of life purifies our faith so that it becomes more precious. And ultimately, what I'm referring to here is when your furnace comes, number one, somebody probably threw you in it. Some of you are in that right now. Business partner, spouse, someone has thrown you in a furnace. They've made a decision that has absolutely caused you difficulty, pain, fear, and things and people that you love are starting to burn down and and you are losing. And then there are men who will stand with you in that furnace. They're gonna come alongside. They're gonna stand with you. They're gonna walk with you. They're gonna pray for you and they're gonna enter into it with you. And ultimately Jesus Christ is one of those men. The point of the story in Daniel three is when you're in your furnace, Jesus stands with you. He shows up as the fourth man in the furnace. And then lastly, Nebuchadnezzar, he wins at life. I mean, his empire stretched literally from one body of water to another, from Egypt all the way down to modern day Iraq. The entire known world, he won, he won. Whatever your real estate portfolio is, it pales in comparison, right? Whatever your retirement plan is, it is inconceivable how exceedingly rich, wealthy, successful, and powerful this man was. At life, he won, he won. But ultimately, if you live like that, you don't lose until death and then you lose forever. So the question is, do you wanna win for a little while and lose forever? Or are you willing to lose a little bit along the way to win forever? And so Daniel and his friends, uh, we would say, quote unquote, they lose their life. I mean, they don't get a life that you and I wanna have, right? How many of you coming into here, if I would have said, do you wanna be like Daniel before we studied the book, if you had no knowledge, if I said, do you want to be like Daniel? How many you guys would say yes? You would have said, yeah. I said, all right, let's castrate you, make you a vegetarian and send you to Iraq. he would be like, all right, I don't want to be that like Daniel. You know, I, I, you know it's, that's, that's a lot. You know, maybe a vegetarian, you know, but that's all, you know, that's, that's all I'm willing to even pray about, okay? The, the, the point is that we could look at Daniel's life and it looks like he loses, but ultimately he dies and he wins. Daniel's friends, it looks like they're losing, But they're winning because they're walking in God's will. They're serving God's kingdom. And when they die, they win forever. And sometimes the moral of the story is men like Nebuchadnezzar, they can't see beyond the grave. And men like Daniel and his friends, they could see beyond the grave. And so they prepare for what truly matters. Um, That being said, um, give you guys a couple of uh, discussion questions around tables. Uh, Number one, um, who's your Nebuchadnezzar? Who's that guy in your life? You're like, man, he throws me in the furnace. Man, he is, he is painful to deal with, okay? And, uh, you know, I don't wanna share names, but just, you know, let us know who that is. Daniel and his buddies got together and they prayed about how they should interact with Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you've got a Nebuchadnezzar. You got a guy, you're like, I don't know what to do with my father-in-law. I don't know what to do with my boss. I don't know what to do with you know, my son-in-law or whatever the case may be. There's somebody in my life, I can't just exit. I got to deal with them, but they're like Nebuchadnezzar to me. Domineering, unhealthy, overbearing, a little scary. And they make my life a little unpleasant. Number two, who is your Daniel? The guy you follow, the guy you look to, right? So with his buddies, Daniel was the leader. So they looked to him. He's the one that got them promoted in their job. In uh, chapter two, he's the one who calls together the meeting for prayer and worship in chapter two. Um, He's the leader. So who's your Daniel? Who's the guy you're like, "Eh, that's somebody I look up to, learn from, lean on. And if you don't have that guy, let us know because we need to be praying for that guy. You need that guy in your life, that guy that you can follow and look up to. And then who are your Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's? Those are your brothers. I said a few weeks ago, you need your crew before you get your crisis. They have relationships, so when it does hit, they're in it together. And part of the reason that we're here, guys, is so you can find your Shadrach, your Meshach, and Abednego, the veggie tales, call them Shack and Benny. So you can find your Rackshack and Benny. And if you're like, if you know what, if crisis hits, I got nobody to call. I got nobody that's gonna stand in my furnace. I, I don't even, I, I don't know who's with me or for me, then we need to pray. And, and you need to intentionally be seeking those guys out. And let me just say this, relationships like everything do not happen passively. You have to be proceeding actively. You can't just be the guys like, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not relational. Well, you need to repent of that. You need to find a couple of guys. This is why Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. It's just better to be alone. But whatever load God has given you to pull, you're gonna need a few guys to yoke together with you on it. Then the last two, how can we pray for you or pray with you today? What do you need prayer for? And what we like to do is we like to huddle up like a football team, guys lay hands and pray. We pray over each other. It's one of the most powerful things we do. How many of you guys looking around the room seeing men praying? It's pretty amazing, right? How many of you have never seen that? It's amazing. And my hope, prayer and goal is, is if you'll have a conversation at this table, let's say you're a dad or a grandpa, you'll have a conversation at the dinner table. As you are answering questions and asking questions, you'll start answering questions and asking questions. And as you are taking prayer requests and praying that you'll take from this table, that back to your table and then be praying with and for your family. And I'm just telling you, some men want to be the leader of their family. They don't know where to start asking questions, listening, bringing God's presence and God's word and then just praying is the, absolute healthiest place to start. So how can we pray with you? How can we pray for you? If you don't wanna pray, you don't have to pray. If you don't have a prayer request or you don't feel comfortable sharing one, you don't have to. But I would say this, if you're a guy who is reticent because you don't want other guys to pray for you, you may need prayer the most. And we're asking God to show up in your life in a supernatural way to reveal himself and to deliver you just as he did Daniel and his buddies. And I know there's a guy here tonight, first time he came, he wasn't a Christian. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure one dude's praying for me. Like, let us try. He met Jesus, right? God changed his life. Now he's walking with Christ. And so if you don't have faith, let the guys who have faith, exercise faith for you until God gives you faith. Lastly, do you need a Bible? And um, um, we like to give out Bibles to men. And so this would be the Bible that you get, uh, ESV study Bible, a cow gave its life. So this is a very significant Bible. Uh, it's a great translation. It's got a lot of study notes. And if you're a guy who simply does not have a Bible, you're like, I don't have a Bible. You can't be a Bible guy without a, without a Bible. Just you know, make this obvious for us. So uh, we are Bible guys. And so we like to give guys Bibles. And I'll close with this. When I was uh, in high school at the age of 17, a really cute, sweet pastor's daughter bought me a Bible. And uh, I could say that because she's my wife now, so she won't get angry about me saying that. Um, And uh, and I went off to college and I, I met Jesus reading the Bible. And then I got into a church that taught me the Bible. And I went to a men's retreat where they taught me the Bible, how to be a man. And then I got into a men's Bible study where they opened the word of God and showed me what godly men look like. And it was the word of God and the men of God that the spirit of God used to change my whole life and legacy. And uh, so I guess the moral of the story is if a gal buys you a Bible, buy her a ring. That's what I did with Grace. Uh, she bought me a Bible, I bought her a ring and, uh, and, and she's my wife. And so uh, the greatest gift, just physical gift that Grace gave me prior to uh, the birth of our children was the word of God. And it changed my life and I want it to change your life. So if you're a guy who doesn't have a Bible, you need a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. And if you're a guy who wants to help buy other guys' Bibles, that would be a great honor. Uh, we had one guy who got his first Bible here and he's reading it and he bought a case of Bibles for other guys. That is exactly what we wanna see. Guys who don't know Jesus meet Jesus. Guys who don't have a Bible get a Bible. And then they walk with Jesus, start praying and buy Bibles to give the next guy, Amen. I'll pray and leave you some time to chat. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to just look at Daniel from the prism and paradigm of men. And and Lord God, Nebuchadnezzar is is a very powerful, popular kind of man. Uh, He's a very successful and known kind of man, Uh, but he's not a good man and he's not a godly man. Lord Daniel and his friends, What they went through was overwhelming adversity. I'm sure incredible disappointment, Uh, seasons and moments of overwhelming bewilderment. God, I love you, I walk with you. I'm trying to do what you want. How come my life is so hard and things are going so bad? And Lord God, these are the tests that all men have. These are the tests of faith. Lord God, thank you that they were filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill each of these men. Lord, we thank you that these men got together for brotherhood and relationship. We pray for these men as they build brotherhood and relationship. God, we thank you that they got together for prayer and we pray for these men as they enter into prayer. And Lord God, thank you that you delivered them, not from it, but through it. And so God, we wanna stand in the furnace today with our brothers, whatever they're going through. And Lord Jesus, we thank you because we know in advance that you're perfectly willing to come jump into the fire with a man who's willing to stand for you. So we ask for that grace in your presence in Jesus' good name, amen. Love you guys, thank you.